All right, guys, welcome back. It's another episode of the New Blood Rising podcast. We are in our special series known as The Perfect Tens. And we have another special episode here today because I'm honored to have another guest from the Place to Be podcast network. Drew Wardlaw has an awesome show that's called You Don't Know Billy Jack, which is under one of these my favorite premises when it comes to wrestling. It is a wrestling fan talking about wrestling to a non-wrestling fan and seeing how they react. Watching matches similar to what we do, watching a match, going through and talking about what did they pick up? What did they discover from it? What are things that we take for granted as maybe high points in the wrestling industry that they may not they may not think is highly of? Maybe they find something else that's a little lesser known to be something significant. Who knows? Drew, it's good to have you on, man. Awesome, William. Thanks uh, for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I want to just say, so you and I, this is the first time we're speaking. And I mean, it's 2020. Everyone's had podcasts around for a long time, but I still think it's so cool that we're on opposite sides of the country and we've never met before. We've never talked before, you know, 10 minutes ago, but we're on here talking about awesome wrestling together. That's still so cool to me. I never, I never get tired of that. I know you're absolutely right. And that's, what's been fun about doing these is because like, I'm, I'm, I, I know what Jason and Charlie, I know where their wheelhouses are. What's interesting is to kind of with these episodes explore and each of us are finding it. Like when we talk to other people and we do these, like where are other people's wheelhouses that may not necessarily be ones that kind of cross over in the Venn diagram with ours. So that's what's going to make today really interesting. I'm excited about our match. First, uh, tell everybody about your show. Okay, so yeah, it's called You Don't Know Billy Jack. You can find it on the Place to Be Nation uh, podcast network, the the Place to Be Nation wrestling um, podcast network. It's called You Don't Know Billy Jack. The premise is it's uh, myself and my best friend Jordan. I'm a diehard wrestling fan for most of my life. Jordan not only is not a wrestling fan, but actively does not like and despises wrestling. So what we do is we sit down and we do a live watch of a match. And I cobbled together a list of just kind of, um, I think, a general consensus of some of the greatest matches of all time. We're going logically. And uh, right now, I think the last one that dropped was... uh, Bret Hart versus Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13. So you can find that on the Place to Be Nation uh, podcast feed, the the wrestling podcast feed. And it's, like you said, it's so great to hear just what a non-wrestling fan thinks because there's so many things that we take for granted as wrestling fans. The kind of internal logic of wrestling, even like an Irish whip, for instance, or, you know, just these kind of wrestling tropes that we're so accustomed to, but then bringing in someone that not only just doesn't know about it, but uh, doesn't, you know, like it at all and has really no desire to, to see it, uh, I think has, has been really, really interesting. And the way I decided on the matches was I wanted, because like I said, these are considered, but, you know, by a general consensus of people to be some of the greatest matches of all time. So the, we've done some like the you know the Austin versus Brett submission match, uh, Kawada versus Misawa six three ninety four, Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat from Clash six, uh, Steamboat versus Savage from WrestleMania three. So the, kind of a wide variety of of stuff. And what I wanted to see was okay, is there something that is 
more universal about these matches that gets to like a, a centralized theme of storytelling or, or uh, you know, are there bits and pieces that someone who has no connection to wrestling can pick out and appreciate? Uh, so it's it's been really, really interesting going through this stuff with him um, and just just hearing his perspective. And, and it's really interesting to hear what he'll pick up on. I There's an episode we did on Magnum TA versus Tully Blanchard, uh, the I Quit match from Starcade 85. And, and it's very, very fascinating to hear how much he's able to pick up on just having no context at all, you know, other than what he's watching. So it, it's, it's really fun. I, I like it a lot. I love that kind of premise too of someone, not even necessarily wrestling, but just bringing in someone from the outside into some kind of a subculture or niche of some kind to just get their view on what's happening. I love that stuff. Drew, what would you say, what would you say is the thing that you were like, oh, wow. what, what was the most surprising thing that Jordan brought up on a pod when you're watching a match that really floored you like, oh my gosh, like either A, you didn't think of that, you never thought of that. As many times as you've seen any of those matches, you never thought of it. Or you just were like, or you just thought it was just the funniest bit that somebody could have brought up. What sticks out to you? Mm, boy, let's see. This is, okay, this will take me just a minute. Um, you know what I think it was? I think it was we did an episode on the six very famous 6995 match from All Japan, Misawa and Kobashi versus Kawada and Tawei. And the way he was able to kind of decipher the storylines going on in the match and the way he was able to appreciate Akira Tawei as an important member of that team and of that match. I think that was actually a very, very deep insight um, because, okay, so not to get too far off, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling in the 1990s, but the, those are considered to be the four pillars they're called. So, Mitsuharu Misawa, Toshiaki Kawada, Kenta Kobashi, Akira Tawe. Tawe is generally considered to be the least important or the, you know, kind of number four in the pecking order. But uh, the way Jordan was able to pick out and appreciate uh, Tawe in that match and appreciate how important he was, I think that was, that was a pretty incredible insight. I'm sure there's something really funny that I'm totally blanking on right now. But yeah, that, that, was, that was a real good one. What would you say? So, because uh, people have asked me this before, if you were to sit down with a non-wrestling fan and you had to show them one match that you felt like just encompassed everything that is awesome about pro wrestling, what is the one match? And you only get one. What would it be? Uh, Magnum TA versus Tully Blanchard. Uh, I quit match in a cage of Starcade 85 that, that we did on the show. That to me, that is the perfect encapsulation of of wrestling to me of pro wrestling because it has emotion it has a crowd who is completely invested in the match it has this very strange i mean that, that's something i'm really big on in wrestling and think it's very important is a strange sense of someone walking in and seeing it and thinking what on earth is going on here um it has blood it has 
just the absurdity of the idea of this structure, this cage match that people are trying to take seriously as uh, a sporting event. You know, that's another big thing is like seeing this absurd spectacle and having people treat it seriously. I think that's kind of the real essence of pro wrestling. It has, you know, a personal issue and a title on the line. I think that that's like the perfect encapsulation of pro wrestling to me. It has one of my favorite, just like in it's a lot of times this stuff is just luck how it happens. But that camera shot, that angle where you see like it's Tully, it's Magnum, it's the whatever you want to call it, the shard, the dat, for lack of a better word, the the, the dagger, the thing that's going to go into his eye. Mm-hmm. That that image, that shot is incredible. That is incredible. incredible. That's and I mean like the thing is like. You can talk about that in pre-production, like this is what we'd want to have. Most of them, you you can't plan on that. That's just that you are just gifted with being at the right place, right time, having the camera at the right moment, and the director calling cut to that camera on in the director's booth. So that's that's one thing I always remember. I'll never forget that image because I was like, yep. that makes it that 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 gives you stake. Like if that doesn't give you stakes, like if that doesn't show it to you, show you what stakes are in wrestling at times. Not even literally. I'm saying just like, yeah, my God. Like <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's just incredible. I the only the only like I said years ago, I love like the sheer emotion of Rock and Hogan from 18. Mm. I always thought was really really special. But I've grown. I, I, I year as years when I was like, eh, I don't know if I would do that. I found after doing, I did the perfect ten with um, Savage and Warrior from WrestleMania, and I was like, the the emotion in that match, from start to finish, like you you don't even really like you can you can see the video package beforehand. But what I always enjoyed was that, like, um, if you're a non wrestling fan, you don't know the history of Savage and Elizabeth. You know though that there's a re- there's a connection there. The crowd is even the crowd thankfully is there to tell it to you by just the the ovation that they're giving it. And you're moved by it, like the how how emotionally moving that is. Wrestling matches don't usually make people cry, the way that match can. And I think that's yeah. what's really, really powerful about it. Like anytime wrestling gets to that level, we're like we're gonna cry. We're gonna have a good old fashioned cry. That's why I'm like, brother, we've broken through the other side. It's Morrison time. It's you know <laughs> we've gone through, and and that's why like anytime a match does that. Charlie and I, we joke about Dustin and Cody. Like, I, I just need my brother. Like that. Yeah. It, it, we joke. We joke about it, but that's awesome. That is. That's good yeah. stuff. That's really good stuff. And um, yeah. I don't know, man. Like that's the stuff. Like when, because I, I use my. Uh, anytime, anytime somebody jokes for us about how, like how fake or how whatever wrestling is, all the stuff you've heard for thirty plus years, whatever. Anytime one of these matches happens, I'm like, I dare one of those people to sit there and watch that and not be like, oh my god, that was awesome, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a perfect match. That that Savage versus Warrior match. That's like oh truly transcendent. And it's you know what's so good about that is that it it doesn't it, it's almost and I I think the actual match and the work in the match I think it's great, but it almost doesn't matter if it's good or bad because it's it's taken to a level beyond wrestling in the ring. There, There's this greater story being told, and I, I think that's 
fantastic when that's able to be uh, conveyed so well like that. I'm not going to lie. What you chose tonight, there, there is some – you feel this match. Like, I love how much I felt this match. And I had – I'll be honest with you. I'd seen this match maybe one other time briefly years ago. So I was excited when you pivoted to this because, like, oh, right on. Because this is right before our season five kicks off. You selected Lex Luger versus Ric Flair for the World Heavyweight Championship from Wrestle War 90. So walk us through. First off, why did you want to do this one? Well, I wanted to do this one. Uh, There's several reasons. First of all, I think it's an incredible match. I think it's a perfect 10. Uh, I think it's a match that doesn't necessarily get remembered in the same way that some other classic matches do. I think that, uh, so, so Lex Luger is one of my guys. I mean, he's, he's one of my top five favorite wrestlers of all time. I love Lex Luger. And that's awesome. That, I, I, that is so cool right there. That is something that is awesome because last week when I was talking with Scott, I was like, you know, you don't meet you don't meet guys that say Triple H is their number one guy. It just doesn't happen. And I'll tell you, probably there are even fewer people that are like Luger is still even in their top five. So that is awesome. So let's hear about yeah. that. Oh, okay. So this could go. We could we could really get off on something now. So so Lex Luger is a guy who. I, and, and I think I think opinion is changing on him. It definitely is. But talk about a guy who had maybe the least goodwill in the entire wrestling industry for the majority of his career. I mean, everybody hated and hates Lex Luger, right? I mean, that's the that's the thing is Lex Luger is a terrible wrestler, and everybody hates him, and he killed Miss Elizabeth. Like it's that's, the guy that's has a thing. That's the la- yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. latter that really does. He could get by with being like whatever kind of wrestler, but the Elizabeth thing, I feel like, just killed his popularity. That killed him. I, yeah, I mean that's and that's inexcusable. And you know, we we don't have to get into that side of things too much. Um, yeah, because yeah, it's right, right. that's just a terrible story, and we we just uh, bum ourselves out here. But I I, I think even. And I mean, he had a terrible reputation. You know, he was seen as uh, he got pushed too early, too much. He had a bad attitude backstage. He didn't love the business. He was only in it for the money. I mean, all these things. So, uh, I, I mean, I think a perfect example, and we can g- get through this uh, one way or another. The big, the what's what's to you? What's the one thing that you remember about Lex Luger, just at, from your childhood right, or so whatever. The first thing I remember, the first thing I, I gotta say Lex Express because that is when yeah. like that that was so big, that was so yeah. big, and I loved it. Like I was a kid and I loved it. Like I, that's why like I love the the you know the 2020 booking where it's like oh well Lex Express was a failure. I'm like. Was it really as much a failure as you think it is, or is it just because you didn't win the belt or whatever? Because man, I felt like people loved that at the time. Yeah, so I mean, that's that's what most people remember is the Lex Express. And if we're being honest, it was a bad idea, but 
he was very popular. And, and if you, you know, like the a lot of kids loved the Lex Express. He was getting big, big reactions. Like on uh, another podcast I do on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling feed uh, called Jenny and the Gems, we recently watched the March to WrestleMania 10 show. So that's the build up to WrestleMania 10, and Luger wrestles on it. And he he got he got the the biggest reaction of uh, of the night. I mean, and people even into like early '95, he's getting big reactions. And it's not the canned reactions. You see the people jumping up and everything for him. So yeah. he was very popular. But I mean, you know, the the fact is he he's not a likable babyface at least in the sense of being like an all-american uh you know i'm gonna carry the wwf babyface like that he, he just doesn't have that kind of charisma um and i i don't like to criticize booking and oh he he they killed him with the booking or whatever you know yeah, yeah. whatever but but that one i mean so he has this lex express tour where he's getting big reactions and a lot of kids love it, but it was the turn came out of nowhere. He was the narcissist before that, and it leads up to SummerSlam where he doesn't win the belt, and then he goes on to WrestleMania where he doesn't win the belt again, and then that's you know kind of it for him being a top guy. Um, it was probably yeah. the right move that he didn't win the belt. I don't think it really would have worked because um, he's just not a natural very likable guy um so i i think and and so that has been deemed a failure by everyone um going back before then you had uh i mean rick flair notoriously didn't really like lex luger um and he came in you know essentially as a horseman uh almost right off the bat and you know rick flair didn't really like him that much um was teased, you know, he was teased a lot backstage. Um, I think kind of, you know, Arn would tease everybody, but I think he just, he wasn't well-liked. He wasn't, he didn't love wrestling. He was in it for the money, and he got a lot of money early on. Um, he was a guy that, he was working a big power style in uh, Jim Crockett uh, promotion slash NWA slash WCW, when you know that was more a lot of like hardcore fans watched that promotion and you know people like dave Meltzer, for instance was never never a big luger guy because oh he's kind of mimicking like what they do at wwf and oh this doesn't happen down here and he he can't work like the other guys and that kind of thing so i i think history has been very unkind to him and the narratives surrounding him have been unkind um because he just you know, he just, I, I don't think he rubbed people the right way in the in the locker room. And then I think prominent people, again, like uh, Dave Meltzer and uh, that kind of thing, didn't like him. And then he had uh, a bad run, I guess you could say, in WWF. Although it's, I, I recently watched pretty much the whole thing, and it's better than you think. I mean, it's, it's not great. Um, I don't even know if I would call it good. I think it's fine with some cool matches and it's about par for the course for people. You know, I think there's a couple, there's like Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels. There's a Mr. Perfect. 
there's a few standouts in the era, but just below them, Luger's kind of right there with everyone else. Um, and he has good stuff. He has a good match against Bret Hart. Uh, the, I thought the narcissist was awesome. Like you go back and watch that narcissist yeah. stuff, and it yeah. is awesome. I, I that's why I loved when we did for season back, way back season one when he became just the total package. I was like, this is great. This is right back yeah. to being the narcissist, and it's exactly yeah. where he needs to be. That's why, like, even as, and I'll tell you, WCW 2000 is a wild time. Of course, it is. It's a wild time to to watch wrestling, but. That was probably like in, in terms of him as with whatever gimmick or whatever babyface heel. That was the best Lex Luger almost in a way at the time because, you, like, just just let him be the guy that everyone wants to talk about outside the ring. Like, oh, he's just he's just a guy who's just all muscle. He's just a guy who's all this. Like, cool, just be that, and you'll yeah. get over as a heel. And he was. Oh my God, like. His reactions as a heel then were great. And that's what's so funny. It's like when, by the time we get to season five, when we started with Great American Bash 90, I feel like it's one of the next clashes he and Flair wrestle again. And it's an amazing match. It's another yeah. just yeah, it's, it's great, great match. And yeah. all the things. His music is awesome. He His WCW theme from then, fantastic. I don't know why they kept it for him as a heel. Didn't work for that. But him as a baby face, awesome. And you know, the other thing I think about from when I was a kid, besides Alex Express, it's the rack. Nobody did. Oh, yeah. I, I, Hercules, I know. I know Hercules, I think, was using it in WWF. But the way Luger did it, the way he looked, the way, like, he would he would emote with his face and everything while doing it, like, I, it, it's, it's, I, it's impossible not to love his early WCW stuff. It really, I, I absolutely am in camp with you on that because um, – Especially him and Sting together, it's just like, dude, you got two of these guys, and they're freaking awesome. And they, they, they're in a lot of ways very different. They use a couple of the same moves, but what's neat is like they, they do complement each other in a really good way, which is great about them wrestling each other at Super Brawl too. That's great, but I think it's really cool. So a little bit more from this here, why are you, why would you go with this match? Like, what was special about this one for you? You think? So, so with this match, uh, so th let's see. I think this is one. I think this is probably Lex's best singles match. Uh, I, I think there's, and I think they had a lot to, and we'll get into we'll get into all this. But they kind of had a lot to work through in terms of the build to the match and kind of what was going on backstage. Um, I, I think this is a, a pivotal match in a lot of ways because. Like I said, I think this is peak Lex Luger as a singles wrestler, not necessarily as a character, but as a singles wrestler. I think this is his best match. Um, I think Ric Flair. I mean, th this is not. This is kind of a talking point that I've heard before, but this is uh, probably the last uh, of the great '80s. Flair title defenses. You know, this is really the last big Flair match that feels like a big NWA title defense. And you know, this is February, late February 1990. And so we're in that little bit of a transition point between the 80s and 90s. And after this, um, I mean, I think WW, uh, sorry, <laughs> WCW has a great first half of, I'd say through the bash, through Great American Bash 1990, 
WCW is so I, I I've watched a lot of the wrestling that happened in the world from 1990, and that I, WCW is maybe the best promotion in the world for the first few months of that. Um, they just had a lot of great stuff going on. And this match falls right in the middle of all that. Uh, so I, there's just to have this, this peak Luger in 1990, um, last great Ric Flair match kind of in the eighties style, uh, so much stuff going on backstage. There's just this is a very interesting match, and the way they they were actually able to get this match out of each other, despite everything else, uh, I, I think is pretty impressive. Uh, and, and this is a match where I, I, something I hear about Lex Luger a lot is, um, and, and I mean you 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 said it like you've gone back and you've watched all this 90s stuff, this early 90s stuff, and it's kind of undeniable that Lex Luger is good. Like you, I'm not trying to say he's the best wrestler ever. He's this fantastic, underrated worker that everyone just has totally wrong. He, he's, he's very flawed, but he, he's undeniably good in, I would say, um, I mean, I, I, 87 through 91, um, is as as a wrestler he's he's a good to very good to sometimes great wrestler uh a lot of things uh that i've heard about this era too is people can say well i mean yeah he had a lot of good matches but in 89 he's working with steamboat and brian pillman and you know michael hayes when he was good still and barry windham and in 90 he was working with uh, rick flair and you know, in the later 80s, 87, 88, he was in a tag team. Oh, he was with, you know, Barry Windham, and he was wrestling with Arn and Tully and all that kind of thing. So it's like, oh, well, Lex was just carried to all these good matches. But if you watch this match, he's actively a good part. And and not, I mean, Ric Flair's maybe the best wrestler of all time. But Luger is actively good in this match, and he's holding up his end of the bargain. Um, so I, I think this is just the the perfect example of of everything that makes Luger great. One thing that's just undeniable is he carries himself in a way that like you're just like you look at it and you just can't look away. You're like, dude, that guy looks awesome. He just yeah, looks he, awesome. He has I love the way he would walk to the ring. It's a very it's it's a it's a very distinct strut that he would do of his own to kind of just kind of show off like his physique in a way. And the, I mean there's no matter what, whether it's the look of a guy, whether it's the the in-ring wrestling, when his music hits, the crowd goes nuts in a way that, like, maybe is only rivaled by Sting at the time or the Steiners or whatever. But the crowd get, lets you know that it doesn't matter all that other stuff. They love this guy. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. And, I mean, well, what we'll get into here is – he was he's a brand new babyface they they had to turn him babyface in order to have this match so you know he's he does have some kind of charisma it's it's not the uh happy go lucky you know USA babyface but it's he has babyface charisma and he looks like a jacked up Dr. Zayas so it's like geez you can't look away from the guy you know like right. he's got a very a very interesting look he also like one thing I give him credit for, and he and he does it in this match. Like, he knows what his range is as a wrestler, and he does not, or very rarely goes outside of that and does anything that kind of gets away from that. 
he works well with clotheslines, power slams, military presses. Like he knows what he's good at and he sticks to it. And I mean, I'm sorry if we're going to like say that, like, like guys like Goldberg or Lesnar are awesome. It's like, guys, they do a lot of the same thing. They stick to a very, very like a very distinct move set. Don't go very much outside of it, especially later Lesnar. So it's like it's really it's really unfair if we're going to say that this over here is awesome, but this guy's not. It's like it it's they're kind of cut from the same cloth in a way when it comes to the way they wrestle and the way they're the way they I, I just the way they go in the ring. So um, how do we get here? Because you're right. There is some wild stuff that happens to lead us on the way to Wrestle War 90. So kind of walk us through some of the, the beats here that, that involve Luger turning, Sting obviously getting injured, stuff like that. Yeah, okay. So it was – so so um, 89 Flair is a, a face. Uh, Terry Funk turns on him at Wrestle War 89. Flair becomes a face. Sting kind of aligns himself with Flair at Great American Bash 1989. Sting eventually uh, joins the Horsemen. They have a, a face Horseman stable in late 89, early 90, uh, which is awesome. I mean, you watch like those TV matches, those TV tag matches against the you know the JTEX Corporation or whoever in early 1990. The crowd is going nuts. I mean, everyone was dying for a face four horsemen with sting and rick flair on the same side so it's like it's great stuff uh clash of the champions 10 they turn on sting sting is the number one contender at this point and the horsemen turn on sting and then they say they they say look you're the number one contender but you're a horseman you know you need to do the right thing and you know you can't you can't take that match you got to give up the number one contendership Sting doesn't do it, and so they beat him up. Uh, later in that show, there's a cage match. It's a tag match. Um, gosh, it's like uh, Flair. Gosh, what, what's what's the match? I'm trying to think here. Um, Flair and Arn, is it? I think it is, yeah. Oh, okay. It's a six-man. It's Flair, Oli, Arn versus Buzz Sawyer, uh, the Dragon Master, and the Great Muda. Um, and so... There's all kinds of stuff surrounding Sting. Sting tries to climb the cage, and he gets legit injured. He injures his knee, which is essentially the last of the really uh, dynamic, more high-flying Sting. You know, he has to change his style after that, and he was never, never quite the same uh, as he was before then. So, anyways, the the match, the big title match, was supposed to be. Flair versus Sting at Wrestle War 90. And story goes backstage that Flair was going to uh, lose to Sting. And so Sting's out of the, you know, he's out of the picture at this point because, you know, he has this legitimate knee injury. So Luger being the uh, United States champion, he's the number one contender, you know, based on the, the famous WCW top 10 rankings, of course. Um, and what's funny is, you know, he wins the belt eventually at Great American Bash 1991. And again, he's put in that position because he's the U.S. title holder. So you have that little bit of, I don't know, coincidence or continuity or whatever you want to call it. But um, backstage, I mean, famously, Flair 
doesn't want to drop the title to Luger. He says he promised it to Sting. He's not going to drop it to Luger. And that's probably a combination of several things. Um, there's a lot of stuff. I know Flair, and this is kind of where it gets a little murky off screen. Flair was the booker in 1989. He gets fired the day before this show, actually, um, as booker. And uh, Jim Hurd, it's like Jim Hurd and Ole take over, or Jim Hurd and um, uh, Jim Barnett take over. And then Ole gets the book later on, whatever. So you have all this kind of chaos going on backstage. And meanwhile, what they have is, because Luger is a heel at the time, and they have just um, a month, less than a month even. No, because Clash 10 is in February. So they have like two weeks to, to pull this match off. So uh, it's on, it's an interview with, um, it's done like Saturday night or you know worldwide, one of the shows. And it's a interview with Jim Cornette and they essentially do the same angle where, you know, Luger's a, uh, he was previously a horseman, you know, he was a horseman in 87, 88. And uh, the the horsemen approach him. It's a, a interview with Jim Cornette on the Louisville Slugger segment, and they say, "Hey, you got to you know you got to do the right thing here. You got to uh, not take this match. You know you're you're not going to be the number one contender." And he refuses, and so they they beat him up too. And so it's I think that's that's a cool little parallel between him and Sting. And so now two weeks out, you you have a quickly turned. Um, Lex Luger, which again, you can talk about, you know, like the famous thing about Big Show, right? Is how often he's turned babyface and heel. Um, I mean, Lex Luger is another one that's just constantly seems like he's being turned face or heel, and what a mess that is. Um, so that's that's kind of the background of this match. So they they really they didn't have much time to do it with, and when you hear the fan reaction. In Greensboro, no less. Uh, I mean, he's getting bigger face reactions than Flair is. Uh, so, I mean, that that speaks to that speaks to something. Um, I think there is an inherent, you know, charisma and popularity with him. So, Drew, next part here, like, take us back to 1990 for you. Like, like, do you did did you watch this on pay per view? When did you first see this match? Let's see. So this this would have been just a couple months after I started watching wrestling. Um, so I've, I've told this story on other podcasts, but I was visiting my great grandma in uh, Mississippi over Christmas and she was a big wrestling fan and she was watching WCW and I guess NWA at the time. But uh, the, the match I remember seeing was a squash match between it was, it was, a doom squash match between um, you know two jobbers with two jobbers, and so that that stood out to me was uh, there's these two huge jacked guys wearing black masks just beating up these two jobbers. It's like what is this? So uh, you know I found out it was on TBS. I made note of that, and I eventually found it when we got back home and started watching. And so I, I was growing up. I was a diehard WCW fan, 90, 1990 until 
2001 when they went out of business. I was WCW all the way. And then I just quit watching in 2001 because they closed, you know? Uh, and so my, my, my thought was, I kind of looked at it like a sports team was like, Oh, well, this is my team and WWF is the other team. So I don't really watch that one. I just watch, you know, my team. So when it, they closed in 2001, I just stopped watching. Um, so I, I've actually seen, I've gone back and filled in a lot of the gaps, but comparatively, I've seen very little WWF from the time. Um, so anyways, I was, I didn't see this. My parents never, never liked me watching wrestling. They never bought me the pay-per-views or anything. Um, when I was a little more savvy, when I was older, I would do scramble vision. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the classic, um, just watch that. But yep. our local video store, video palace, um, they used to get the tapes in the WCW tapes in pretty regularly. And the funny thing about that was the guy that owned it, John, you know how at video stores, they would, you do like a, they wouldn't necessarily give you the full box. They'd kind of, maybe they'd photocopy, um, their own cover and then give you the tape with it. You know how they would do that? Yeah. Yeah. And so he would, uh, superimpose his face over, you know, like (laughs) you, 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 you rent Terminator and it's his face on, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's body or something like that, you know? Awesome. And so he would do that with some of the wrestling tapes too. Um, but I eventually saw this, I, I didn't figure that out for a year or so that they had the, the tapes at the video palace. So I, I didn't see this till probably 91, maybe spring of 91. I, I don't have a great memory as a kid, but, um, I, I do, you know, that's about the time. And, and the match, honestly, the match didn't stick out to me that much when you're a kid. You know how, I, I don't know, tell me if you felt the same way, but, you know, obviously I don't I don't know anything about, like, how to analyze a wrestling match or if a match is good or not. It would just uh, give me a feeling like, oh, I liked that, or, oh, this is weird, I don't understand. Did you, yes. Do you know uh, what so, I'm talking about there? Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's the same thing with movies. Like, when it comes to wrestling, what I remembered as a kid, what stuck out to me, did my guy win? If yes. he didn't, if he didn't, then I don't care. Like, I didn't like the match. And that's, like, and that was something, like, I loved as I got older, like, being able to appreciate. Here's an example. You talk about WrestleMania 13, Brett versus Austin. If I was, all right, so if I had been a little bit younger when that match came out, I wouldn't have liked it because Austin didn't win, if that's my guy. And he he is my guy, absolutely. 100% nowadays, 100% up to this point. But the cool thing is, like, being able to go back and watch, you're like, dude, that's a badass match. And even though he loses, he really wins. And that's something, like, I even discovered watching Three Stages from Hell because Three Stages from Hell, I didn't watch that match for years because, like, no, Austin doesn't win. I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch that. And I would just like, that was my, that was the way I would treat wrestling from being a kid sometimes up until my teens, because I was just like, nah, man, that, that's just, I, I just didn't. And I couldn't respect the match, even if it was good, just because the result wasn't what I wanted. Same thing with movies. Like if I saw a movie where my, the, my main character died, nope, done. Right. I'm not there with you, but <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, but that's, what's been fun about 
you know, getting older, the net, the the advantages of the network, YouTube, doing podcasts, and you discover like wrestling's an incredible art. And a lot of times, like, and it's uh, and you know, watching movies like The Color of Money, like when you lose, you win. Uh, sometimes, like that's just the way it works. I was like, man, like that that's absolutely true because when you watch this, some matches, like your guy may lose, but you know deep down, like they they actually won the match because the crowd's just so in awe of what they did in a losing effort. So I hear what you're saying. I totally do because I could see, especially with this finish, this match being just kind of one you forget as a kid because you're like, oh, well, my guy didn't, you know, he doesn't, it doesn't end up the way I want it to. Yeah. So, eh, eh, you just discard all that 46 minutes yeah. of, of action. But in reality, it's like, this is really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, another example of that, speaking of WrestleMania 13, uh, and that, that was when I saw pretty much at the time um, I got a tape of that shortly after was I used to love the Undertaker versus Sid match from WrestleMania oh, cool. 13. Generally considered to be one of like the worst WrestleMania matches of all time. Right? Like at least the worst like res- uh, WrestleMania main event. Um, yeah. I, I but suppose. it's like... Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know. You know, I loved it because it was like, OK, the Undertaker wins. He becomes a champion and he's wrestling Sid, who's also gigantic. Like, what's not to like? Right. You know, uh, it's, so it, it's also that that final image alone of him with the belt doing the pose. Like, oh, I mean, yeah, that's iconic. I mean, like it almost it, it's that's what's so awesome is sometimes it doesn't matter what just happened. Because of that image, it like that it 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 automatically like boosts that up. Like, is is it is it worse than Undertaker reigns? No. 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 And and the, but the thing is, there's another iconic image. But it's like that's one of those times where like I didn't want to see that. Nobody wanted to see that. We don't want to see him do that. We don't <laughs> want to see him take his clothes off and leave. No. <laughs> So it's like, man, you keep that match, man. I'll take I'll take 13 all day long, especially, too, for the crazy Sean commentary. But that's beside the point. Besides the point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> let's do this. Let's do this, Drew. Let's take a quick break here. We're going to hear from our sponsor, Anchor, and then let's get into this match and break it down because it's a long one and it's a good one. So let's take a quick break. We'll come right back. Hey, this is the franchise, Shane Douglas, and you're listening to The New World Rising. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, we're back. And, Drew, let's get through this now. Let's go through Wrestle War 90, Luger versus Flair. It's the world title match. How do you want to tackle this thing, man? Do you want to do the promos, or where do you want to start with this? Well, let's let's mention the promos uh, just briefly because I think part of that plays into the match itself. Uh, so let's start with what the the Luger promos first. Uh, pretty basic Luger promo. I mean, L- Luger is not a great promo. I think everyone will agree with that. Even me, a diehard fan of his, not the best promo. But I think this one, I think this one works. He basically says, "Look, I'm here for the title, and it's going to be." The power slam and the rack. Power slam and the rack. That's what he repeats. So that's going to be his game plan. Um, Flair, 
pretty standard flair promo, I think, for the time. Um, nothing special here, but uh, gets the job done, right? Right, right, absolutely. And and so it cuts to you know we get into the match now. We got the entrance, Luger's entrance. You said that music hits and he comes out, and I love that he's just wearing, you know, no shirt, no robe, no nothing. He's just got his trunks on and the U.S. title belt. And I, I like that stage a lot that they were using. Oh, yeah. Two ramps? That's cool. Yeah, the two-stage kind of ramp. And depending on the light, it doesn't say WCW. It says WOW. Oh, right on. I didn't see that, but that's cool. That's yeah. cool. It, a clear step up from the tilted WCW uh, sinking into the backdrop. I uh, don't understand that. Can you clarify that? I We have been joking about that for shows. <laughs> And I just don't get it. What is the story behind that? I I don't I don't know the story either, other than that was an aesthetic choice that they made. Like it's not it's not like they just couldn't get it straight. They just wanted it tilted, maybe for like, you know, kind of like a '90s, like oh, it's kind of you know scattered and wild. Wow. Isn't that I, isn't that insane? It, it is because it it was such an it, it has been an eyesore in shows that we've done this season and I've I know I, I've I've stopped writing the note because I'm like what's the point now but it would always stick out and I'm like what is the deal here I kept wondering at times is it the angle that we're at like is it is it an illusion kind of is it really not sinking is it just maybe jetted off more towards the back and it's angled toward the front it looks like it's sinking I don't know man that thing just blows my mind I don't get it. It's 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 truly terrible, and I, I've been yeah I, I've uh, really enjoyed listening to you guys, just really hate it and then just give up on it over the course yeah. of the season. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just one of those WCW things. I I generally I'm generally not a fan of like oh lol it's WCW, but there's some things that are undeniable, and a, a big one is their lack of correctly visualizing what something will look like when it's on the stage whether it be like pyro or a stunt or a gimmick or an entrance uh, you Dude, know the best set or one something. The, the, the one that sticks out in my mind is is uh halloween havoc 90 with sting and the scorpion and and that whole exchange in the beginning where there's a fan that gets abducted he rescues the fan the scorpion disappears and the camera never cuts and they just stick to a wide and you can tell, like, this is one of those things that, like, they – maybe they rehearsed or maybe they just talked about once. And they're like, this yeah. is what's going to happen. We're going to have the, the – the, and then they go into that 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 phony – like, with the, the shower curtain. And it's like, he's there. No, he's not. He's disappeared. Oh, yeah. But it just – it looks – it, it looks haphazard, but you know, at the same yeah. time, I'm like, I'm not gonna, I can't, I can't 100% ding it because like it's such an entertaining show. So I, I really look over, I, I look past that. But you're absolutely right. Like they, there, there were things they just didn't think through, you know. And and in the end, they're they're kind of superfluous. They don't matter so much, but they're fun to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I mean that's the thing with WCW, right? It's like it's it, the whole thing is haphazard. It's all over the place and a lot of it just doesn't matter and you got to focus on the right things. But it's always like and like I said, I'm I I'm not a big LOL WCW guy. I mean w, WCW, you know, through like 94, 86 to 94, it's my very favorite wrestling in the entire world ever, you know? But it's 
you got to call it when you see it. Some of that stuff is just terrible. But as a segue, the the great thing about that kind of haphazardness and the lack of continuity of camera angles and entrance presentations and everything, it does every now and then lead to these really spectacular moments like we get in this match because after Flair enters and they're both in the ring, you get this these really tight shots of them in the ring, and it truly feels like a, a big boxing match or something. Yeah, that's how absolutely. that's how it's framed. Yeah. And and yeah. you hear you know you hear them in the ring. You hear Nick Patrick going over the rules, and it's like and that that's the kind of moment where with without any restrictions, you know, you you are able because I mean okay, I, I don't want to keep comparing stuff to WWE, but okay. WWE has a very, very clear and static uh, aesthetic, right? Everything's right. shot the same way, and, and a lot of times that's I, I, I really like that, and I think that's good, but you miss out on things like this. So you, this is a, a situation where you just happen to get this, this perfect, just great moment that really captures the way the building is feeling and the feel of this match. And, uh, I mean... I don't know about you where you stand on Jim Ross as a commentator. Um, I, well, I kind of do actually because I've listened. You know, I've been going through the shows. Sorry, um, Jam. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge fan of his, but he does know how to get over the gravity and the importance of a match. Right. Right. Dude, uh, the I mean, the thing that blew my mind with this match is how great Terry Funk is as a color guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, listening to Funk, like, because what's awesome is Funk broke all the rules that, like, Jerry Lawler would follow later on, where it's like, like, you know the thing with a rumble. Jerry Lawler, during the height of the Attitude Era, you'd always say, oh, that's my guy. They'd get mm-hmm. eliminated. Well, then he'd pick another guy. Like, I like how Funk's like, uh, he, he flips, but then he's like, nah, man, I'm just kidding. I take yeah. the guy on the, I take Ric Flair on his face any day of the week. And yeah. what's great is like how he can, he, he, and you can tell at times, like, I feel like he's figuring out what his, what his character is as a commentator, because he comes off as a heel at times, but then he's like really just like a hard nosed, like color commentator breaking down the action. And by the end of it, I, I, I totally believe when he's, his voice is getting up there and he's talking about what's going on, like. Dude, he's underrated. He's fantastic as a color guy. Yeah, he's yeah. I think he's he's pretty great in the the few instances that we have of him in like these big matches. Uh, he's he does commentary for Clash Six, the Flair versus Steamboat match there, and it's it's equally as great. I I would actually say it's better than this. Um, I think he did a good job here. I think that that Clash Six match is pretty out of this world but i mean both these guys are are able to really put over you know they say uh funk he says like this is an event this is the biggest sporting event you know they're really putting it over the importance of this as an athletic competition um and i mean it it has this really tangible energy uh and the crowd is going nuts and again it's like this is the last time you really feel that same kind of energy uh, in the entire promotion ever. You know, it's 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 really something special. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, anyways, 
we get into the match now. It's the match has started really, really slow paced. Um, for the first, gosh, what would you say, five, ten minutes? Uh, kind of some stalling, little bit of teasing of interactions. Uh, dude, you do get right off the bat, just a couple minutes in, you get, it's right after they have their shoving match, and Luger shoves down Flair, Flair gets back up, and Luger screams out, come on, motherfucker, as he's flexing. <laughs> Yeah. In front of with, Flair. And, and to couple that with like later when Sting comes out and he's like, you kick his you know what. His man. you know what. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's that's the that's the stuff. Like I what I absolutely love about Luger is when he fires up. Yeah. Because he has gotta be like in the history of wrestling, like this is gonna sound like hyperbole, but he may be a top ten fire up guy of all time. Like the way like whenever it's time, like maybe it's just him getting Irish whipped into the corner. He just pops out with that clothesline, and you just hear like his whatever audible his sound brow. he makes. Yeah, man. Like yeah. I mean, like again, like that that you that hits you, and you're like, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do this. Let's do it. And he's got yeah, he's got that pose that he does, that flex, you know. If, man, like I've seen this match a lot. I'm getting chills right now thinking about that, and I jumped off my couch yesterday watching it. So it's like, <laughs> dude, this is so sick. So it, it, it's like it. Uh, I I love stalling in in wrestling matches. Like I take me to Larry Land every day of the week, man. Like I I love like real slow starts, those feeling out processes that we get, and so you know. Uh, during that time, what would you say? It takes us about five minutes to get a uh, Jim Ross football reference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, like, you knew it was coming. Like, oh, we're going to hear about you playing this Miami CFL. And then I was shocked it took as long as it gets to get to his grade point average. I know. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable it took that long. 3.78 or whatever. It. Yeah. I mean, JR and the, and the football references. Now, the background behind that, um, did you, have you seen like uh, so the you know mid south the, the mid south territory? Yeah. So that that's where he came from, and that was the big thing with Bill Watts is he wanted to put over all of their guys as legitimate tough athletes. Right. And so that's the whole thing is always oh, <laughs> college football player, always oh, a pro uh, a football player. You know, going back to like Ernie Ladd. Oh, Ernie Ladd. Oh, you know. So that's, Jim Ross, that's what I love about it. Like when you go through, like if you go back and watch a match, you can, if you don't know, you can figure out the year based on the sports reference that Jim Ross uses. <laughs> and that's, that's always my favorite. Like if I turn on, if I turn on highway to hell, SummerSlam, if he talks about Mark McGuire in the home run race, I'm like, Oh dude, it's 98. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. There you go. I'm right there. with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if he makes any Bo Jackson references at any point. Oh, dude, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be, Absolutely. right? Like, yeah. oh, dude, the best one. Like, this this one made me laugh recently. When It's the March 30th, 1998 Raw when, or maybe it's not, I forget what Raw it is. I want to say it's that one. But it's when Austin comes out, and he, I think he's going to confront McMahon. I think it's early on in the feud. And Jim Ross goes, can you say, hey, can you say Latrell Sprewell? It's like. Dude, what a wow! What a dig! Good job, Jr. Wow, good old Jr. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, 
so anyways that's like the origin of him being so obsessed with football references and people being you know sports stars before they got into wrestling i mean i don't know so anyway so th- this match so the early on you get a sense that like uh you know th- so the you get a sense that it's it's very clearly laid out lex luger he's a power wrestler it's going to be his power moves versus flair's kind of veteran uh wiliness and you know him as a heel he's a classic heel so he knows he's gonna get the upper hand through kind of nefarious means right and through his tricks and uh outsmarting luger and you you get so you've heard you've heard the idea of like a flair formula match right like flair has a formula yeah yeah. so i mean i i don't i don't think that's accurate in the sense of like he always wrestles the same match but he definitely has a formula that he works with with the big power guys so uh nikita koloff hawk luger sting he's he's taken a lot of gorilla press slams and you know he's gonna get worked over a lot of the time right is that is that fair to say absolutely yes I, I would I would call this I think it's fair to say that this is more in line with the Flair Formula match style. Um, I think this is the the quintessential Flair Formula match though. Like you get you get the big gorilla press slams, which all get huge pops. I mean, and that that's something else like we touched on. But man, Luger is over in this match and he's getting huge reactions and this is after being a heel up until two weeks ago you know in greensboro like i I, that's that's a pretty incredible thing you know yeah absolutely yeah so you get all that you get like i said you get the gorilla press limbs you get luger no selling the chops um you you get this sense of like okay he's getting over with the power moves that's how he's going to win the match but then you know, it, it eventually uh, there's a, this big momentum shift that I love when Lex uh, uh, Flair ducks out of the way. Lex goes over the top ropes, and so now um, you get to work where Flair's kind of in control now, and he's doing a lot of his. He's focusing on the head at first, right? So he starts on the head, he moves to the arm. Eventually, he gets to the leg. Um, but it's, I mean, gosh, this match is 38 minutes long, right? It's four, a 40-minute match yeah. almost. Oh, yeah. And, and again, Luger, like, give the guy credit, man. I mean, he's he's going 40 minutes with Ric Flair, and that's and he's working that whole time too. Yeah. Uh, I, I think one thing that's really great about this, and in general, like, you know, you watch, um, there's a difference between working a hold and, someone sitting in a rest hold because they're tired, you know, like there's in this match, there's that big, there's a sleeper spot. Uh, Flair gets a sleeper on Luger and they're working that hold. I mean, they're moving all around the ring constantly, you know, it's, it's pretty impressive. So it's, you know, you do get a bear hug by Luger, you get some downtime, but, uh, you're getting a lot, a lot, a lot of movement and action through this entire 40 minutes. The thing about that bear hug, too, man, is, like, he tries to pin him with it. That's really neat because as years go on and a guy does a bear hug, like, you can tell it's a rest spot just because they just kind of it's kind of holds him there for a few minutes. The fact that Luger picks him up and then tries to pin him with a bear hug 
it's kind of neat. Like I've never, I had never really seen that before, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's, that's a good point. Like it's, you know, it's, it's not, uh, who, who else? I mean, gosh, you know, Hogan used the bear, the bear hug real early on in his career. You know, it's not him just sitting there in the hold. He's kind of working it and using it to try to pin flair. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Great stuff. So, you know, it, we get, and we do get a good amount of, you know, there's big momentum shifts and you get the transitions. Um, the big, big, big part, Luger gets fed up eventually. And he's, you know, he's been worked over all this time and he just snaps at one point and he just chokes Flair and runs him back into the, the opposite. Uh, they're in the corner. And he runs him to the opposite turnbuckle with that choke. And then it's like, all right, like he gets his energy boom and he hits a sleeper of his own um kind of brings the crowd back down but then he gets that big that first big power slam and it's a great near fall too because remember that's his whole that's his strategy is and he's won matches with the power slam before so he's hits that power slam and it's an awesome near fall i miss so that through that's something i kept thinking while i was watching like i miss when a move like a power slam could win a match yeah yeah you know or you'd believe that it could win a match because nowadays like, I love Randy Orton's power slam. It looks awesome, but he's yeah. never won with it. So I don't believe it when he pins a guy after it that there's even a chance in hell that he's going to win. Yeah, no. I mean, no one's buying it, you know? Right. And I guess that the, I'm not trying to be, you know, Mr. Like old school here, but at right. this point it's almost like even if a person hits one finishing move in a big match it's like it's almost like people don't even buy that that's going to be a finish because they know right. they're going to kick out you know right. of a bunch of finishers but i mean here it's like man it was close and like th this crowd is awesome like they yeah. they oh, get yeah. taken for a ride and they're they're all on board um i i think a really cool aspect of this and this is kind of a classic like NWA title match thing is, you know, not necessarily selling like a limb for the whole match or selling the back for the whole match, but this idea of selling exhaustion as the match wears on. And that I think, is awesome. That's a great take. And yeah, like, uh, yeah, keep going with it. Keep going. Oh yeah. Well, I was just going to say like Lex, I mean, even, even this something he can't necessarily control, but like, you know, the guy is jacked up and huge, so he's super sweaty, and his hair is just completely matted, but he's selling exhaustion as the match wears on. And it's like this big guy, you know, his shoulders are now slumped over, and he's kind of hunching over as he's walking around the ring, and he's holding the ropes more. And, you know, I, he kind of blew off the arm work that Flair was doing, and, you know, maybe there wasn't this real extended long like heat segment but um you know it's just like you could tell like man did, look how much this is taken out of him you know so it's funny drew so like i read i read two i wanted to i always like to try and i, I like to read two or, or so reviews of a match before i actually watch it so i'm curious where people's angles are and everybody just latched right onto. oh man the psychology goes right out the window i mean he works his arm and it's gone and i was and after watching it i was like you know what occurred to me? It's like, do you know how big Lex Luger is? Do you know how much you have to work his arm for it to maybe actually hurt him, like significantly to where it, it lingers for a long period of time? I believed it that Lex Luger is big enough, strong enough, and, and such incredible just 
has such incredible body chemistry that, yeah, it may hurt for a little bit, but he can shrug it off because he's the total package. So I don't, it doesn't bother me. That's what made me laugh. Like that's such a man when people like, cause I, I, the two things I read, like they love the match, but they love to zero in on that. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, stop. That's not, that's not something like, like you're overthinking it. Like, it's not that big a deal. Like, yeah. Is it, did, if he had had a dangling arm for most of the match, it would have been cool. Uh, maybe, but yet at the same time, I want to see Luger rack a motherfucker. Like that's what I want to yeah. see. So, uh, you yeah. know, that I, that was just something I know. I, I, I'm i glad you mentioned it because it is, I mean, he definitely, like, just all of a sudden is, like, back to being normal. But I thought about it. Yeah. I was like, isn't it believable, too, that, like, guys that big don't necessarily get as sore as, like, you and I would if we got put in a hammer lock for 10 minutes or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I, I think... I think it's you know it's it's probably a little bit of a fault of the match I guess but I don't know he also it wasn't like the main focus of the match and that's when selling really bothers me so let's let's say so uh, they wrestled each other Lex and Flair at Starcade '88 and had another another great match that match was essentially worked entirely around Flair injuring Luger's leg. And it set up the finish, which was Lex, uh, his leg collapsing underneath him and resulting in Flair pinning him. And Lex does a great job of selling the leg the whole time. If he had, you know, if the point is, okay, we're setting up this whole thing and the finish is going to play into the hurt limb, you know, you can't get the rack on, for instance, because your arm has been hurt so bad. But it, it wasn't. That was just that was a portion of the match that they right. moved on from. And I, yeah, I mean, he could have. I like it when guys will like kind of work out. You know, they'll they'll shake their arm out. They'll. <laughs> I, yeah. I love it. A classic wrestling trope is like, you know, someone hurts their leg and so they start punching it to make it feel oh, better. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I also love like when they <laughs> shake the leg out. Like they they shake oh, yeah. it out a couple times. Like, oh, it's all better, man. It's all cool. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Wrestling is so sick. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, so anyways, but yeah, like that, that didn't, I mean, it didn't bother me too much. It's the arm stuff because I, I think the exhaustion aspect of it and like, I, I think that really made up for any, any other, you know, shortcomings he may have had. But, you know, you, you start getting the sense that, uh, yeah, okay, Flair's kind of, uh, he might be losing it here a little bit. You know, you get the sense that Flair's getting, he's starting to get desperate now. And so that's when he starts moving into the figure four work. So he starts working the leg. He's going to be working to set up the figure four now. Um, a, a really cool aspect is that, I don't know if you remember that Luger gets, he tries to get a figure four on at oh, one yeah. point. Yeah. Um, oh, and he, he totally blows it. Oh, yeah. Um, which, if we're being honest, is probably just because Lex couldn't, for the life of him, figure out how to put a figure four on. But they play it off so well in that, you know, he kind of gets it on, but immediately Flair is out of it. Right. And and Jim Ross puts it over on commentary, like, hey, he is not proficient in this hold. So I, I think that was just this cool little moment where you see, okay, well – kind of speaking to your point about Luger going outside of his comfort zone, that he doesn't do that, you know? Like, right. oh, he kind of tried to do something, but, oh, look, that didn't work at all. So he's not going to, you know, he's not going to do that again, and it didn't work because, okay, you're going to try to put the master of the figure four, Ric Flair, 
in his own hold. No chance, you know? Yeah. So, anyways, so about this time, so there's a lot of back and forth in this match, and this is where you, the crowd starts really cheering and hyping up, and you, you're thinking, okay, what's going on? And you see Sting coming down. Oh, yeah. Here we and, go. And so you, we should Which mention in all that, fairness, he was out earlier. So, I mean, if, right. Right, yeah. So he, he came out. Uh, Gary Michael Capetta announced him before the match to be, what was he called, the special observer? Yeah, it was some bizarre thing. And he, I, it was funny. It's like, like, you can tell when injuries are legit and not. Like, you can tell this is legit because nobody messes with Sting. Like, don't yeah. touch him. Like, don't. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's you, funny. You can kind of gingerly hold him, but don't don't touch him. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. So so he comes out, and you you get this uh, you know this moment where we mentioned it earlier. He grabs Luger. Oh, it's so good. And because Luger, it's like you you kind of get the sense that oh man, Luger. Like he's so exhausted, he's losing ground. You know, he ends up in the figure four. Like he's just not. You know, he, he hit that this, one power slam. Is this after he's had like the three visual pins? Like, like I. I... So not not quite yet. Not yet. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So that that's coming up. Um, but it's like the the match is kind of brought down to a lull. You know, where it's uh, Lex, like he's just not. You know, maybe he doesn't have it. Like we, you know, he came close in the Great American Bash '88 match. He came close in the uh, Starcade '88 match. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe he just can't do it. You know, Flair, Flair's still Flair. Maybe he's just gonna get him. But Sting comes down and he <laughs> he gets in uh, Lex's face. He says, "You get in there. You kick his. You know what?" <laughs> so good. And dude, that that slap he gives him is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, all right, now Lex, now he's going to get going. And you know what's great about this, too, is Flair is so good in this because he starts losing it. He starts freaking out, and he's screaming, and he's ripping trying to get it sting because they've still got unfinished business, number one. But also, look, sting – it just revitalized the guy that could potentially beat oh, yeah. Ric Flair he, for the title. He's, he's racking up the band. Here it comes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's so, you know, it's uh, this moment where Flair realizes, okay, the title is the most important thing in my life, and I might be about to lose it. I thought I had him. I thought, you know, he, I had him in the figure four. Oh, here we go. And so we get this big flurry by Lex. We get a fourth gorilla slam. Everyone, the crowd's on their feet. Everyone's going crazy, and that's when the run-ins happen. So we get, we first get that big ref bump. That's when we get the the um, the pins, right? The visual pins. Yep. yep. And so they count. The crowd counts to like ten. You know, Lex Lex has him. Luger's oh, and Jim Ross. Is, he's won it three times. Yeah. <laughs> three times yeah <laughs> so uh, and so out come the horsemen so Ole and Arn they get out there and they're watching and this is when okay we've got that we get to see a torture rack and you you mentioned how awesome it is when uh, Luger puts the torture rack on and he's he's like 
this is a cool one because you can see him visually bending Flair in half oh with my it, God. you know? Yes, yes. Because one of the things we joked about, we had a, a Jurassic Park meme where it was like, uh, you said there were going to be uh, torture racks? Uh, and because <laughs> the, the, what's funny is like when we pick up from Great American Bash 90 through where we're at now, Luger hardly racks anybody. And it's like, no, wait a minute. I thought yeah. you said there'd be torture racks. What happened? So when I saw this, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a proper torture rack. Um, and, and so you get – it's it's a pretty awesome – again, WCW, uh, despite themselves, they, they come through with some big, awesome shots here where you have uh, you have him in the background, Luger in the background uh, with the rack on – flare and in the foreground you have Ole and arn holding sting getting ready to beat him with the his own crutches and so look sting and lex luger they have a long history at this point of being friends and he jumps out luger ditches the torture rack he jumps out to save his friend sting as a result he gets counted out and he loses the match by count out yeah yeah, and I love that Nick Patrick's like reluctant to do the tenth, the the last yeah. count, like because you, yeah, it's again going back to when like we're younger, we're looking at this, you're like, oh man, but it's like when you're older, you're like, damn it, they put on a good show, and boy, do they have you so they have you, they have you in the palm of your hand because you're now just even more ready for the next show because you're like that he got so close to beating Flair, the next guy's gonna get even closer. Yeah, yeah, and and. You know, it's it's a cheap loss. I think it's a creative way to do. It. You know, it's not just a basic run in and they beat Flair up and you know, uh, or they beat Luger up. Flair's disqualified. It's I think it's a an interesting way to do it. But also, and this is this is kind of this is a stretch by me. I admit this. But you know, in '95, '96, in uh, with the start of Nitro, you get. Again, this great Lex Luger. I mean, Luger's the the absolute highlight of those 95 and 96 Nitros where he's doing the thing where he's a heel behind Sting's back, but when Sting is looking, he's high-fiving the fans and everyone loves You know, he's in love with everybody and he's a good guy, which yeah. is like, it's incredible. Again, like, that's great Lex Luger stuff. Like, he, he's an incredible character during that time. And it plays off of, look, and so Sting always trusts Luger, and there's this friendship that endures between them. And it plays off of this finish, which is, look, Lex has been trying to get the title now for, uh, you know, going on two, two and a half years. This was his chance. He had it won, but he he didn't do it. He he ditched the title to save his friend Sting, and it's, Sting is now loyal yeah. to him. It's such a, so it's it, like you said, that's so creative. That's such a creative way to do it. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really awesome stuff. Um, I mean, you can, oh, I, I think a lot of people have argued about if he should have won the title here. Um, I, I think, I mean, I think he should have, definitely. But, you know, it didn't happen. Uh, there's the Capital Combat match, the cage match that's after this. That's also awesome. Um, I, I think at this point we had now seen uh, Luger lose 
the belt or you know lose the title match three times I, I think you know getting into kind of the enduring legacy of this match I think by that point it begins to hurt him that he just can't win you know yeah. and then yeah. he doesn't he doesn't win at Capital Combat either so and he doesn't win the title he never beats Flair for the title you know obviously he ends up beating Barry Windham for the vacated title. But yeah, so that that's unfortunate. Um, but I think in and of itself, I think the finish really works and it's great. You bring up a really good sliding doors moment here where it's like, if Luger wins, you're talking about 1990. So you had the potential of having Hogan versus Warrior and Luger versus Sting in the same year for the belts, which would have been really cool. I just don't... I. I mean, you can be a better. You can answer this better than I can. Like how how good WCW NWA was at doing face versus face. <sighs> well, I mean, you had. Hmm. I I, I don't I don't know if they could have pulled that off. Um, you kind of had some de facto matches like that, like in '89. Um. I mean, Flair was the heel, Steamboat was the face, but, you know, it's Ric Flair, and he's kind of beloved most of the time. Um, I think, you know, I don't know if Sting and Luger could have pulled off a face-versus-face match. I I think that would have been asking a lot for those guys. Um, But at the same time, you know, with their power moves, being as as over as they were it could have just been well okay um steiners versus uh flair and luger at super brawl uh one in 1991 that that's a face versus face match it's really good that tag match yeah i I think you meant sting i I know you meant sting versus and luger versus steiners that's awesome oh sorry no 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 no, sorry i know exactly where you're at though because when we watched that we were like Damn, dude! Like this is one of those where, you're like, like if you're pure, if you're pulling yourself out of it, and you're just like, I really don't care who wins because I just want to sit back and watch this because yeah. this is gonna be, this is gonna be stiff. It's gonna be entertaining. I think this is the match where Sting, but I think Sting saves Luger from a Koloff, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's kind of a, that's a neat callback then to, like, to this in a way, if you want to call it that. But it's like these. It's an interesting friendship, both on screen and off screen, that these guys have had over the years. Because isn't like one of the legends, rumors, or whatever that like one of the reasons why he didn't come over sooner to WWF was that they wouldn't they wouldn't bring Luger back, so he wouldn't he wouldn't do it. Is that one of the things that's been? Have you heard that before? Or is that just one of those one off things? Gosh, I, you know, I've never heard that. I hope okay. that's the case. I I hope in my mind, I'm hoping that. Sting was holding out for a Lex Luger Hall of Fame introduction. I mean, this era, like you said, man, this era of time, this four to five years from his run in the 80s up through, you know, this run in the 90s that he has with WCW, like, it's awesome. And I wish the Sting Luger heel match, heel versus face match they had was a little bit better. I mean, it's memorable. I I love that show. I'm a huge fan of Super Bowl too. That's just, that's mm-hmm. one of those, like you were saying, like, when I would go to the video store, I would rent that one. I loved watching that show. I would go back to back with that one in uh, Battle Bowl '91. I don't know, they, mm-hmm. just be, just because like those were they, they always had those in stock. 
I think I was keeping that one in the rotation for them. I was always renting that out for them. But that's that's one of my like top five favorite shows of all time. I love that show, and that that was one that they they got most of them in. But I would always rent Super Brawl too. Um, and that match, it it could have been if Lex Luger wasn't so roided out. It could have been like a pretty classic match. Yeah. Um, I mean, man, and we want to get into fantasy booking here because we never got a definitive uh, Luger versus Sting match. And if we're if we skip ahead uh, four years to the fall of '96 when the NWOs running wild, and when you have the big Sting angle where Luger mistakes him, he sees him in the car with the NWO, you know, all that, which leads yeah. to the Crow Sting. In my opinion, the 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 match they should have done first, like at uh, Bash at the Beach '97, they should have done Sting versus Luger. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah, with Sting being like a tweener. Luger being the face because Luger is red, red, red hot in '97. Like is '97 all those squashes? Is that when he gets the belt for a minute? Yeah, for a week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he's like, man, he's like the most over guy. I mean, it's it's him and Sting. Sting's pops are different because he's coming for the Raptors and all this stuff. But Luger is out there every week. And people are going nuts for him squashing, you know, roadblock and putting him in the torture rack. And the entire crowd stands up and is flapping their wings with yeah. him, you know? Yeah. Like, I could go – I I constantly think about how I would rebook uh, the Sting angle, the Sting-Crow angle to lead up to, <laughs> you know, that year of 97 or whatever. Uh, it would be cool if you're, if you're doing, like, super fantasy booking if you took – 90s era like early 90s era luger against 98 goldberg or even like even like a few years later just to see like like i would love to see first like first off like see him put luger or put um goldberg in the rack that would be awesome that'd be so cool to see if because i mean i'm trying to think like from that era who was the biggest guy he got in the rack during this run the the early 90s run yeah um does he does he rack? Let's see. Does he rack D- uh, Danny Spivey at uh, WrestleMania ninety one? Oh oh um. See I I want ah oh, dang it and I'd have to I go. Can't, I can't remember. No I can't. Well like and I, and I was joking earlier like I feel like I, I lean towards no because for whatever reason we just don't get enough we don't get nearly as many torture racks in the run of like Bash ninety through uh, Super Brawl two. That you would think, like I just was astounded. I was like, "Wait a second, no, don't take these away from me. I needed yeah, I these." Know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay. What about um, uh, Ron Simmons at Halloween Havoc '91? Does he rack him there? The two or three well, falls match. He, he's a heel, so I don't think he was using the rack, right? Yeah, you're right. I think he was just using that. I don't understand what he was thinking with that pile driver. Like, I remember with figures, I would try to duplicate it. I'm like. What what are we doing here? Are we just trying to break the guy's shoulder? What are we right. doing with this pile driver? Like I never understood it fully. The Harley Race pile driver that he he learned from Harley Race. Yeah, it just looked. Yeah, it, yeah, it never worked. No, no, yeah. and, and I mean, like I, 
I love that they turned him heel the way they did, and they almost made him like this really just like, uh, you know, the this, I'm not going to say corporate champion because he wasn't like, he wasn't there yet, but he was very much cl- close to that threshold of becoming like that quote unquote corporate type of, of champion that would be like this eternal face of the company or whatever. But I, that was, that's one of those what ifs. Like I, I wish that he had stuck around longer, that he wasn't like pretty much just waiting for the right moment to get out. I know like, I, I forget how long that goes back to, but I know obviously he's looking ahead to getting into or the WBF, then WWF and all that. But that's one thing I wish there had been a little bit more, a little bit more put into. I mean, bless his heart. I mean, the thing that kills me, I feel so bad for him. When he finally wins a belt, they don't even have a proper belt for him. They have to get like a makeshift belt. That he yeah, the floor, the Florida belt, the yeah. Florida tag team belt. Yeah. It's, and it's, and I remember like that show, like it's not like super convincing that he's a heel. Like it was almost like they no. needed to, yeah, they needed it to. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. 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 <laughs> ah, such is uh, such is the legacy of Lex Luger, right? It's it's weird. It's so complicated because it's just one of those things where it's like you can't escape the Elizabeth thing. That's no. what's so wild. Like, is all this stuff we've talked about? It, as soon as you think about her, you're just like, man, dude. Like, like uh, it, 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 and you know, you say it, but you're not. Like, you know, it's not. It, well, that's not exactly 100 percent of the way it's done. Like. But you say to yourself, like, you killed Miss Elizabeth. Like, that's that's what you would say to yourself. So yeah. You killed her. And, yeah. and and it's, yeah, it's one of those things that's just, like, it's such a bummer because there really were some great moments in this guy's career. Like, a lot more. And like you said, like, there are a lot more than sometimes uh, he's given credit for over the years. So, yeah, I, I think I think the thing with Luger is you have to you have to watch all the stuff like you can't he's he's not really a guy that you can take uh kind of as as an overarching like just kind of oh i'll watch a match there and there and there you kind of have to dig into the guy's career and watch yeah because i mean look uh his entire wcw run his second run you know 90 uh 95 to 2000 he's got uh gosh maybe zero good matches you know, like it's oh, yeah. very forgettable stuff, but he's the best part of the show uh, as a character. And like him and, you know, 99 even and him going into the 2000, like as the package, like his, he's so funny and just so arrogant and over the top. And then 95, 96, you know, he's th- uh, throwing down the U.S. title belt so he can flex and then he's celebrating these like cheap wins, like he just won the World Series, you know, just all this stuff. And then '89, he's got the U.S. title, and so he, you got to watch all the shows from '89 to see how good he is. And you have to watch him versus Dick Murdoch on TV on syndicated show in 1989. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. gotta. Yeah. He, he's a guy that you have to dig into and look because if if you take his career as a whole, it seems pretty weak like oh he you know he won the title in some kind of weird match where there's a botched or not even botched just an ill-timed and ill-executed heel turn after flair left on supposedly the worst show of all time and you know oh then he jumped ship to wwf and has this terrible face run 
where you know no one it, it just it's a total failure and then he jumps to WCW again and he doesn't have any good matches and you know it's it's a guy that you just you got to watch uh, week to week from the start of his career to see truly like man this guy and again I, I think there's like like I'm not gonna say that he's the best wrestler of all time like he's he's not he's nowhere close you know but right right it's he's not the absolute uh you know worst wrestler of all time either you know that everyone portrays him as in all the shoot interviews and uh kind of the the general narratives about the guy i mean the undeniable thing is like he was over like he he had he had the crowd in a way that very few people next to none i mean they're i mean it's basically one like staying yeah. had the crowd like i mean that's and that's a unique gift and that's the thing ultimately like you judge on like you take a guy like cesaro he's an amazing wrestler he's yeah not quite that over with the crowd and that's why it's like the guys who work the best in the ring aren't necessarily the greatest wrestlers and that's yeah i mean there, there's something to that like you look at it with movies like you know how many times, how many of those supporting actors you see have resumes that include like the entire Shakespearean catalog, all of Greek tragedy, all of it. They've done all of it because they're that gifted, but they're not. They're they're not one of those guys that you're gonna pay money to see in a leading role. They're just not. Yeah. So Luger's one of those guys that you would like if he's in a if he's in a match like this, you're gonna throw down the cash, you're gonna get the pay per view, you're gonna buy the ticket, you're gonna go see it. Yeah. And I mean, and that, and that, that bears itself out. Like, when is it? It's the summer of 1988 where, you know, him and him and Ric Flair are touring, doing house show matches. And that's the first time in, you know, I, I, I don't know the exact amount of time, but it's the first time in a long time where they're drawing over 10,000 people again because they 1988 was like a real end of 87 into 88 was a real downtime for NWA attendance wise and Luger versus Flair that match is the match that gets the the company back up like they start doing good business based on that match yeah. um, I mean that's uh, the uh, a big talking point about Sting is that he never, uh, you know, he was never a draw. And I don't know. I don't know how true that is. It's kind of like they're talking about, like, you know, 1990 with the Black Scorpion and 1992 when everywhere across the board was, you know, attendances were in the tank and no one was watching wrestling in 93, you know. So I don't yeah. know how fair that is, but there's not, you know, there's not really that key like series of times where you know sting's drawing over ten thousand people everywhere he goes you know right that's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to look at when you see like who was uh, who was drawing cat crowds when like i know yeah. th there's recently there have been people that have, that have railed brett and sean for not drawing crowds in the mid 90s for wwf and it's like well are what are we comparing that to are we comparing that to the attitude era because that's dumb like, why are we comparing who's drawing in the mid-90s to the late-90s in terms of wrestling? Because wrestling in the late-90s is, is so oversaturated. It's everywhere in our life. It's impossible to not find professional wrestling. You could go to school and somebody's going to have a shirt on. It's everywhere. 
It's just, and and what's the what's the explanation for it? it? There's really not an easy one. That's the that's the fun thing about it is there's so many ways you can frame it to fit your argument. That's why it's like, well, why didn't Sean and why didn't Sean and Brett drop? Well, it's just because they weren't real main event guys. They're just smaller guys who just complained about wanting the belt and they finally got the belt. And then when they got it, they couldn't draw. I forget who said that recently, but it was sort of like, I was sort of like, ah, are we sure? Like, are is like that's, I get where how you're framing that, but I don't understand if that. I don't think that's necessarily like, like the 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 correct way to to compare these things like you know i just it's the same thing like are you really going to compare the mid 90s to the mid 80s bad idea yeah like yeah terrible like yeah it you know and it's it again that that happened and it's funny how that happens throughout all of, of of pop culture like it's funny how in sports how you know you compare the nba how the nba runs now compared to how it did 15 years ago in the early 2000s or whatever and you're like or the mid 2000s you're like it's it's a completely different game. Like that's why it's tough to judge these things sometimes. Like it's just these things in the moment, like organically, like whether it's something in pop culture, society, I don't know. It's a thing that we can't you can't really necessarily explain in a very succinct sentence. It's just one of those things. Like, why is somebody over? I can't tell you. But when I look at them, I want to see them more. That's all. That's all you can say. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a total context thing with with drawing power and all that, and it's I I really don't think any of us you know I I'm I'm li- sitting here saying well Luger drew this 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 you know I I'm saying that but it's not really, really fair of us like there's so much going on outside right. of what the top match is and there's days of the week and all this so like an example I was in uh, I was in Japan a couple years ago and I was in Corken Hall watching a a wrestling show a big japan show and i met a friend there and the crowd was not not great um and i asked my friend i think it was a wednesday night i said hey so what what do you think of the crowd here and it just happened that that day there was like a freak snowstorm in tokyo and so it was snowing everywhere and it was freezing cold and he said man if it wasn't snowing and if it was warmer this place would be totally packed so it's like, and you just look at, you know, if yeah. you're just scrolling down some website looking at the number, and you say, oh, 900 people, and who was in the top match? Right. Yeah. You know, whoever. Yeah. Oh, well, that means they didn't drop. Well, that's, you know, that's that's total nonsense. Like we can't. I. And I. No, really you're right. That's the deep dive that like you ultimately have to look at is like, why didn't it draw here? Well, there was this that happened, this, this, and that, and the other things that have nothing to do with wrestling. That yeah. can affect people coming to a show or things of that nature. Like, ha- when was the last time they had had a show there? Is wrestling yeah. been, like? Because I, I mean, like, I, I I can. One thing I can tell you, man, is when uh, I think I went to the show in '95. I need to ask Charlie because I'm pretty sure we we intersected so many times without knowing each other. But there was a show in Charleston, and Luger headlined it against Crush, Evil Crush, huh. and there's in a stretcher match. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> oh, but yeah. dude, I remember when Luger came out. I mean, that place was we we were ready. We were ready oh, yeah. for Luger when he came out. And I remember that had been in a period where WWF hadn't been in Charleston for a while. It was I had seen two or three clashes in Charleston when they'd come to when they'd come there, but that was all that was there. There wasn't any other like WWF wasn't around there. Yet it took a few years 
But I moved there in 91. It probably took until 94 or 95 before they were actually back in there. So, because I remember when Hogan and Beefcake wrestled the Beverly Brothers, like that was a big deal <laughs> in town just because it's Hogan, you know, I mean, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But it's a, it's, I, I, that's a good conversation, Drew. I guess I, as we're heading on the home stretch here, um, Tell people what's what's coming up next with uh, with your pod with you don't know Billy Jack. What's up next with you guys? So the next match uh, that we're gonna do, I think this episode should be out late May. Uh, the next match is uh, Atlantis versus Ultimo Guerrero uh, from the year 2000. Very very famous mask versus mask match. Um, Again, like a total all-time classic match. Great match. Uh, it's another one that I, I watch every time and I get chills. Um, you, yeah, you, you really get it all in that match. It's it's great. I'm going to have to watch that match. I've not, I've not seen that match, but I will oh. have to watch it ahead of your of your show. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really great. Yeah. Um, where can people find you on, like, Twitter or social media? Uh, so I am on Twitter at underscore burning spirits. Um, yeah, follow me there if you're interested. And guys, you know we're on. Um, we are on Twitter at New Blood Pod. We're on Facebook, New Blood Rising Podcast. We're gonna have some more season five related content coming out soon because we've got some stuff to talk about with Ron Simmons. We need to give that its due. That is coming soon. So. Be on the lookout for that. Don't forget, hey, if you get a chance, go go listen to that Boneyard match that I did. I, I put a lot into that. I wanted to really take it up to another level and see what you guys thought about this type of Perfect Ten. So if you get a chance, go check that out. And um, like I said, we're going to be coming back soon with a few more Season 5-related um, matches or things. So uh, I myself, I am at William Rankin 83 and guys, we will see you all next time. Kick out! Kick out, Cactus! Goodbye, my friend. That's the goodbye. Goodbye, Cactus. Thanks for the great memories, buddy. You're going to be missed, Cactus. Godspeed, Mick Foley.